first uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 29. Um, I, I don't know about you, but uh, this, this is Palm Sunday, and uh, it just seems pretty strange to me. I was unprepared, mainly because I usually think Palm Sunday comes in the spring. <laughs> uh, and and since that doesn't seem to be the case this year, uh, it's coming in winter. Um, but one, one of the things that I, I think is uh, interesting about uh, Palm Sunday is, you know, I, I don't know what kind of image you carry around in your head about it, that, you know, Jesus and his disciples come in and, you know, he's on the uh, the donkey and people are waving palms and throwing their coats in the ground and kind of the focal point is all on him. But the fact of the matter is there are thousands of people on the road to Jerusalem, thousands. They're all coming for Passover. Uh, it's very confusing. Uh, it's not uh, as orderly probably as we, as we think it is, uh, as seen by the fact that Jesus comes into town uh, goes to the temple and immediately uh, gets into a conflict uh, that will escalate throughout the week and end in his death, right? So uh, I'm sure that everybody who's watching what's going on there thinking is, yes, here comes Jesus, he's going to throw the Romans out. Yes, here comes Jesus, he's going to uh, straighten out the religious authorities, all of those sorts of things. Probably no one but Jesus on Palm Sunday, understands what his real kingship is and what he's really come to do. Um, and, and so you may think, well, what does that have to do with Numbers chapter 20? <laughs> well, Numbers chapter 20 is all about leadership and the fact that we as human beings uh, expect our leaders to be God, and when they're not, we're really thrown off course. So I'm here to tell you, every leader, every human leader, every single one has feet of clay, period. The best ones have feet of clay. The worst ones have feet and legs of clay. But the truth of the matter is, uh, all leaders, all human leaders, fail. Um, and, and, and the fact is, one of the things that is so fascinating about this text that we're about to read, and even all the Gospels, right, is the fact that, and one of the reasons why I believe them is, uh, there are no heroes in these stories. <laughs> except one. <laughs> right? And so, so if I were, you know, if I were Moses and I were editing uh, the stuff from Numbers, I would have left this chapter out. Okay. Um, and so as we as we look at this today, let's 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 kind of keep those uh, th- those kind of factors in mind. So we're going to read uh, Numbers twenty one through twenty nine, but I'm not going to read it in order, and I'm not going to read it all at once because the way we're going to look at this text is we're going to divide it into uh, three different sections. The first one is uh, the two funerals that are in this text, one in uh, verse 1 and then one in verses 22 through 29. We'll look at that. Uh, And then we'll look at the failed negotiation that Moses enters into uh, with the nation of Edom. Uh, And then uh, we'll draw some conclusions from that. 
And then the last thing we'll look at is Moses hitting the rock with his stick, right? So um, um, that that's the way we're going to, uh, that, that will help us work our way through this text uh, this morning. So let me read to you uh, Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, and then verses 22 through 29. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zen in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And then down to verse 22. And they journeyed from Kadesh, and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people, and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. And they went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation, and Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. So here we are, uh, interestingly enough, on Palm Sunday, and the first thing that we're going to talk about in this uh, text is two funerals, right? Awesome. Can't you do a little better? Well, uh, the fact is, uh, there's a lot to learn in, in uh, these uh, two funerals. It's been when we pick up the narrative here. One of the things that you have to see about what's going on here is is that the purpose of God moves on. When you when you read these texts about these funerals, one of the things that you might miss is at verse verse one says uh, the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zen, right? And then uh, verse 22, and they journeyed from Kadesh and the people of Israel, the whole congregation came to Mount Hor. The, the point that you should see about this is, is that they are moving. They are progressing. The whole point of numbers is to get the people from where they are to the promised land. That's God's purpose, right? And so uh, though we know that they rebelled and that they have quarreled with God and they've had all these difficulties, the fact is God is moving them to where he needs them to go. His purpose has not changed. His purpose has not stopped. And his purpose doesn't even change or stop when the people who have been leading them, the people who have been in charge, the people who who they probably can't imagine what life would be like without Moses, Aaron, and Miriam are dead. And so we, we read this and we think, wow, that must have just been devastating, disorienting. What are we going to do? Oh, no. When really what we should be saying is God's uh, purpose and his program for getting these people uh, to where they need to go doesn't depend on Moses or Miriam or Aaron. Praise God. That's great news. You know, we, we kind of get ourselves wrapped up and caught up in the human leaders and the human things that are going on, and we have these expectations of them. And, you know, Moses is a pretty good leader. I mean, he talks face-to-face with God. The Bible tells us that he's the most humble man who ever lived. A great guy. Impressive. Super impressive. Super, super impressive. And he fails, as we'll see in this text. 
And so, so we read about Aaron, the, the priest who's, who's the first one. And, 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 and now he, he's gonna die. Uh, we read about Miriam who sang there on the rock overlooking the Red Sea, looking at the, the bodies of their, of their enemies. And, and she, she praised the Lord like that. We, we're like, wow, you know, they this family, the first family, kinda, right? <laughs> How awesome! And they're dying. They're going away. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to get up. And after we have 30 days of mourning for Aaron, we're going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving. We're not going to stop. The purpose of God doesn't stop with people. God has his purpose. He's going to achieve it. And I, sadly... Unfortunately, I'm not essential. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not important. That doesn't mean that I don't have a role to play. But you know what? God is going to get us where he needs us to go, whether I'm it or not. That's very humbling and very alarming. Because I thought I was more important than that. Right? Right? It doesn't mean I, it doesn't mean that that I don't matter or uh, uh, you know that God doesn't use me or that I don't have a role to play. But but you see, I, the, the role that I have to play is not, and, and I get confused about the role that I play because the role that I think I play is in this big story, and the big story is called Steve. <laughs> That's the big story, and the little story is what God is doing. And as long as what God is doing builds up Steve, then it's a great story. I love that story. Let's tell that story some more, right? When in fact, who I am, what I am, my value and my worth is immense. Jesus Christ died for me. But it is not so immense that I am indispensable and that the kingdom of God will come to a grinding halt if I'm not here leading. Um, as I've gotten older, uh, some of my favorite Bible verses have kind of changed. And one of my favorite Bible verses comes from the book of Joshua, where God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now get up and get on with the business of taking the promised land. Gang, praise God. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God is not depending upon failing, weak, finite leaders. Our hope, our joy is rooted in Jesus Christ. The whole of the Bible, one of the things that you have to see in that is, it is to make us, put us in a situation where we see and we rest, not in uh impressive, uh, gifted human people as our deliverers, that there's only one deliverer, and it's Jesus. So so there's, there's much to rejoice. I didn't tell you to put my notes up there, did I, Brian? Well, uh, yeah. So, so, the, so, the, so the point is, uh, the old generation is going away, and we should rejoice, because that means progress. Mourn for 30 days. Fly the flags at half-staff. Uh, 
that's fine, and get on with the program. Okay? Point one. Point two, uh, the failed negotiation with uh, Edom. Let me read to you verses 14 uh, through 21. And, and, and again, what you have to see here in this text is Moses' failure, right? Uh, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we've passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, you shall not pass through lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, we will go up by the highway. And if we drink your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Now, if you're following along in this story and, and you're, you're thinking, you know, like I typically do when I read a story is there's the good guys and the bad guys, right? We would think the good guys are Moses and his people, right? They're the good guys. They're God's people. And the bad guys are everybody else, right? Um, and so we read this and we think those terrible people from Edom, they should be spanked. They, they, they just, they, they are not helping. Now, Let's look at this a little more carefully. Who is Edom? Why does he call them our brothers? Edom, the people of Edom, are the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother, Israel's brother. So, so what Moses is saying here is, hey, all of you guys, we are sending you uh, your own personal DNA kit from Ancestry.com. So that you can see we all come from the same genetic source. We're really cousins. We're going to have a family reunion. That's not going to cost you anything. We just want to walk through your land. Now, now you remember that you've heard those stories about our dad, Jacob, stealing from your dad. You remember that? Oh, that was a long time ago. We're not going to do anything like that. We just want to walk through your land, all a million of us, and we're not going to take a drink of water or stop at your rest stops or do anything on our way through there. Just let us go through. After all, remember we were in Egypt. It went poorly for us there. And then it went poorly for the Egyptians. Maybe you should let us come through. Now, should the Edomites have let them come through? I don't know. But I do know this. Where's the mention of the Lord telling them to do this? Where, where, where does God come to Moses and say, hey, we're at the border of Edom. Send them a letter so that they'll let you go through. It's not in here. Moses is thinking, hey, this is the most direct path. I don't need God to tell me what we're going to do. 
I'm just going to write them and, and do this. Now, now Edom probably should have let him through. But the fact is, what we, what we see here, and, and they will, they get judged. If you read Amos 1, you, you'll see where Edom gets judged. But the fact of the matter is, Moses is making a unilateral decision here to enter into these negotiations with these people who are, uh, not really their friends to, uh, move the people through. Nowhere in the text does God tell him to do this. Nowhere does Moses go and seek God's face. Nowhere do we read that the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire is leading them through this. Moses is making the decision that he wants to take the people this way and he's going to do it. And it fails. Now, reasons to rejoice in this. One of the, one of the big reasons for us uh, to, to see this and to rejoice in this is uh, that uh, the, the fact is every human leader, every human leader that we kind of hitch our wagons to uh, has a limited vision and a limited understanding. And, and, and that limited vision and that limited understanding is most predominantly limited by ego and independence and experience so that we know we just know better. And yet what happens here is they they fail. Now, does, does that keep them from, does, does Moses' failed negotiation here, does it keep them from getting to the promised land? No. Does it keep God from accomplishing his purpose? No. Not at all. But the fact is, what we should see here is, this, this little story embedded in this chapter is a, is a further window for us into the heart of Moses. For us to see what's going on with him and kind of this drive and this sense of pride of independence. That he can kind of make these decisions on his own. We have every reason to rejoice today in the failures of our leaders. Because when our leaders fail, uh, it is the mercy of God to say, don't entrust yourself to princes. Do not depend on man for your hope. Of deliverance. And then the last one, the story of the water and the rock, beginning at verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, And tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, 
to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. What a, what a crazy story, right? So we, we've, for the last six weeks or so, every Sunday when you come to church, you have an opportunity to see people, hear people complain. And then we have what's here in Numbers, right? So, so, so what, we, what we read here is this sense that yet again the people are complaining. Now, back in Exodus 17, uh, the people are out in the wilderness. They don't have any water. Uh, God tells Moses to strike the rock and the water will come out. This time, just several years later, they're in the wilderness. They don't have any water and they begin to complain. Wow, it would be better for us if we were dead. Now, now you know, nobody says here in this situation, wow, we've been through so much. It's really hard for me to believe that after all of this, God's going to let us die of thirst out here in the desert. So the people are complaining, whining and complaining, 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 going to Moses, complaining. And what does Moses do? What any good leader does. He goes with Aaron and the glory of the Lord comes to them and God tells them what to do. And so they go. Now, is Moses, you know, one of the things that is, I can sympathize with Moses here. So he goes and he says, here now, you rebels. So no longer is Moses one of the people of God, but he's standing apart. And in our family, we call this being judgy. Okay. He is being judgy. You rebels, you rebels. This is on you. I no longer am a part of this community. I'm better. I'm better than you, right? You rebels. God doesn't say that. God simply says, you know what? Go out and do this. Demonstrate to the people my glory and my power, and we'll bring water out of the stone. So what does he say? You rebels. Secondly, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Now, there's a problem with this pronoun, right? Shall I, I'm going to do this for you. Shall I bring the water out of this for you? Because he, he, he has assumed to himself uh, the, the place that only God has, right? I'm going to do this for you people. You're such a burden. And then, just to add emphasis to it, even though God was very clear, speak to the rock, he hits the rock twice. So when he hits the rock twice, one of the things that you have to see about that is that rock symbolizes, and the New Testament makes this clear, that rock symbolizes the very presence of God with them. In fact, Paul says that that, that rock was Jesus. And so so when when he hits that, there's a sense in which he is blaspheming, he is hit, is striking with his rod, God, in front of the people. And he feels justified in doing that uh, because he's had it. So it no longer matters that God told him to do this. He has made up his own mind, I'm going to do this. And what happens? The water flows abundantly. God loves these people. He loves you. He loves Moses. Do you deserve it? Nope. Not at all. 
But God loves these people. And he loves them even with their failed leaders. The water flows abundantly. He still supplies more than what they need, even in the face of their complaining and the failure of their leaders. Uh, several years ago, I got a distraught phone call one night uh, from uh, one of my kids. Uh, they were riding their bike back to their apartment, and um, I didn't know you could do this, but he, uh, he got a ticket from the police for running a stop sign on his bike. $175 ticket. That sounds like a fundraiser to me. But anyway, $175, uh, which was bad enough. But when he got back on his bike, turned the corner to go to his apartment, he was confronted by a skunk and sprayed. Sometimes you just have a bad day, don't you? <laughs> right? And uh, he's just, he's not having a good day. And he's usually pretty cheerful, pretty upbeat guy. He was not upbeat. And so, uh, and he's ranting, which in our family, we do that. We rant a lot. So he's ranting about how he's going to run to be the mayor of Blacksburg, and he's going to run on a kill-the-skunk platform because there are too many skunks in Blacksburg, and they're ruining my life. So I said to him, I'm like, well, you sound like a politician. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, every politician says, vote for me, and I will make all your dreams come true. I will solve all your problems. Everything's going to get better. You're going to get richer, taller, better looking. All of this is going to happen if you just entrust power and trust your heart and trust power and trust your aspirations into my hands. Ever hear anybody say that? Vote for me and everything's going to get wonderful. Listen, I don't, I don't know anybody who's a dog catcher or a county supervisor or a uh, governor or a congressman or a state legislator. I think they all say that. And it's fine as long as we all know they're lying. <laughs> right? That doesn't mean that there aren't some candidates you should vote for and some candidates you shouldn't vote for. But I know this, they will fail. They're human beings. All of us, all of us, the best of us and the worst of us need to be led and need to be redeemed by someone, someone who's not us. Someone who, who identifies with us, who sees us, who understands what our life is like, but someone who dies the death that we deserve to redeem us, to set us free. You see, the, the failure that Moses has here, the, the failure that Aaron has here, in the end is a mercy of God to us to say to us, don't look to men and women to be your saviors. I alone am that. 
I alone am the one who can redeem you. Only I can give you life because only I are your redeemer.